Before we get into what's sure to be a strange, dark, alienating uh, hour of discussion, let's start out with a ray of sunshine, mm. which is our favorite coffee in the world, Grady's Cold Brew. It's the coffee that powers this podcast. It's the coffee that you should be drinking if you know what's good for you. It is delicious, New Orleans-style, chicory-infused coffee that will uh, perk you up in the morning, that will get you through the day, that will perhaps allow you to listen to two hours of music that you don't want to listen to. Why do we love Grady's, Winston? Well, I was going to give you a quick checklist here. Uh, oh, sure. Questions. A, do we love Grady's in a jug? We love Grady's in a jug. B, do we love Grady's home-brewed in the brew bag? I think we possibly love it even more home-brewed in the brew bag than we do out of the jug. C, what about uh, out of the box that you can get it in? I think you've touched on my personal favorite method of Grady's consumption because you get one of these boxes and it seems to sit in your fridge. It's like an endless fountain of energy and good taste. And mm -hmm. uh, if you're thinking about going in for the box, I can't recommend it any higher. And uh, D, are there other flavors of Grady's besides the New Orleans style? I'll answer that one. Yes, there are, including French vanilla and hazelnut. And those are also really great. Um, there's also decaf Grady's. And if you go to Grady'sColbrew.com and you're, in, and you're a first-time uh, shopper there, you can put in the code LATEERA20 and uh, get 20% off your, uh, your first order if you live in the States. So please go on there and sample it. We're not fucking around. We love Grady's. Okay? Before we get into the meat of the episode, we just want to give a quick shout-out to the man himself, Grady Laird, a hardworking New Yorker who runs this small business out of the Bronx. And when you're taking a sip of your Grady's, Say it out loud or just think it inwardly. Just give a little thank you, Grady. Give a little thank you to Grady. Amen. Thank you, Grady. Thank you, Grady. Have you got my latest record project? You got Welcome to the latest episode of the podcast whose name you hear whispered on the breeze project. on otherwise still and quiet spring afternoons. It gives you impressions of days gone by, lost loves, missed opportunities, a sense of childhood innocence, Grady's cold brew. Yes, that's right. I'm talking about Late Era, the podcast brought to you by Osiris Media, where we talk about the strange, funny, untoward, and sometimes extremely dark, depressing Late Era albums by classic musicians. And today we're taking a departure from our usual schedule to bring you an emergency episode about Van Morrison's latest record project, Volume 1. That is the name of the album and a description of what it is. My name is Andy Cush. I am a contributing editor at Pitchfork, and I play bass in Garcia Peoples. My name is Winston Cook-Wilson. I play music uh, in the band Office Culture and as Winston C.W., my name is Sam Sadomsky. I'm a staff writer at Pitchfork, and I like to rock and roll. Ooh. And we decided to talk about Latest Record Project because, I mean, it wasn't even really a decision. It was sort of like impossible to ignore. We knew that, that, that Sam brought it up first, and, and it just seemed like, of course, we have to uh, delve into this. It's a, it's a rare moment when our pathological interest in, in late-era records intersects with popular culture and and you know the fact that people are actually talking about this record and it also just embodies an artist sort of curdling in the worst way uh you know maybe following some impulse that was present in their work from the beginning to its darkest possible conclusion yeah well i mean we had we had uh done the van segment on it we knew we knew that we'd have to account for it in some way we knew that it would be dark but didn't know quite quite how what depths it would go to how specific it would be and then some of the information that's come out around it and just the fact that it's two hours even if it was funny um it's a really like a descent into hell yeah that's a good way of putting it it really leaves the worst for last too in terms of the darkness for anyone if if you haven't been following uh van morrison in the last year or so 
uh, he started releasing a few songs, I guess sort of a few months into the pandemic when uh, everything was completely shut down, in which he sort of was expressing his uh, cynicism about the lockdown, his feelings that it was all pseudoscience and etc. So he kind of like turned himself into this troll of the pandemic character. And then I guess a few months after that, he announced this album called Latest Record Project itself, this kind of like sneering title. Uh, It's two hours long. Um, There are songs on it called like, Why Are You on Facebook? They Own the Media. Uh, There's a song called Jealousy about how all his haters are just jealous of him. Mm. And it's it's this just sort of insanely long deep look at like the the dark side of his ego in really specific terms and his attempts to kind of like address the world and it seems like he's digging into this kind of like white nationalist alt-right kind of viewpoint in just about as explicit terms as possible without just like coming right out and saying you know i'm talking about jews here mm-hmm. yeah it's ugly stuff and i have to say i've never dreaded listening to an album for this podcast more than I dreaded listening to this. I knew I had to, and I knew that it was going to be a good conversation to have, but I think in my own personal life and fandom of Van Morrison, who I should say I love a lot of Van Morrison's music. um, Yeah, all three of us, I think, are pretty big Van Morrison fans. Yeah, so this is just like, you know, it can't not be funny to have someone as a figure like Van Morrison do something that's so contrarian and provocative. But at the same time, it's like the joke wears thin pretty quickly. And you're like, oh, this is like actually some pretty horrendous stuff. Did either of you guys make it all the way through the album in a single sitting? Absolutely no. not. No, I, <laughs> I, how, many, how many sittings did it take you? For me, it was three. I, five. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, t- I did it on walks. I, I wanted to be like out in the sun. Like I needed my vitamin D. I needed like a plant. Like cl- I needed chlorophyll to like kind of counterbalance <laughs> uh, what was going on. But I, I thought that was actually kind of a good way to listen to it because there's this very linear sense to it that almost manifests in like these like in like five acts or however many acts you might totally. divide it into. Because it seems like each song free associates something from the previous song. There's like right. the use of like certain words or just thematically it'll be like, you know, they on the media is very close to like, why are you on Facebook and Western man? That's the dark side of the thing. But then there's just like songs that are like totally nebulous things where music is used as a metaphor or like the conspiracy section where people are trying to like fuck up his career. Right. It's super, um, super low effort. And I thought something was kind of funny. There's an additional controversy going on with this album among his hardcore fans where he was selling signed copies of it. And it turns out the signatures are fake. Oh, my God. Amazing. <laughs> he was just stamping signatures on them. And the fans are really upset about it. Like, oh I think God. they're like petitioning to get refunds. So. Yeah, no one's happy with this. Damn, why can't it just be funny? I mean, when you hear the word Facebook sung in the van, when he goes like, Facebook, when you hear him sing Facebook in the Van Morrison voice, you're like, like, why can't I just enjoy this? Why can't it just be funny instead of horrible? Any other version of this album would be hilarious, except for the one where he sort of comes out as a Nazi sympathizer. We should get into it, but... um, How's everyone doing before we take this journey? Good. (laughs) Really good. (laughs) Yes. Amazing. Yeah. It's a beautiful afternoon. I think the only thing I've had to gripe about recently is the fact that I have to listen to this record. (laughs) Yeah. Music is coming back. Got some Garcia People shows coming up. That's exciting. Whoa. Plug that. Uh, We got one. At the Sultan Room in Brooklyn on June 23rd. Yeah. We've got one at the Colony in Woodstock on June 11th. Wow. Uh, I want to say we have one on June 4th in Brooklyn as well. Whoa. uh, Or in the city at least, but I don't have the details of that at hand, so I'm just going to do a vague promotion of it. Yeah. We got some some stuff happening finally. It's amazing. Maybe it may be a new record on the way. Hell yeah. Who knows? I'm going insane trying to finish my record 
um that's all i'll say about it i'm in a hole it was hard to listen to vim i i, I worried listening to too much of this record would ruin my own record like the toxic energy and the lack of effort or maybe it would be like all right so he can release this these songs were done in 15 minutes why have i spent over a year working on this you know let you know i could i could cut myself a little slack that could be one way of looking at it but jesus yeah it's a it's a suck Otherwise, I've been good though. Love the love the weather. Left New York for the first time in COVID. Saw my parents. Went to Pittsburgh, and that was lovely. That's great. Sam. Yeah, feeling good. Um, not much to report. And doing the apartment search thing. So, uh, probably by the end of the season, I'll be doing this from a different place, different room sounds. Prepare for that. Ian will have to adjust his whole thing. Oh yeah, I'll I should talk to Ian about that, but. Yeah, feeling good, feeling positive. Okay, that's good. Let's keep up that positive. Let's pump up a little bit. I, I have, I literally, so I ran out of Grady's bags, and I decided this morning while listening to the darkest part of this album to walk to a supermarket that has a lot of Grady's just on the shelf. The biggest Grady selection I've seen in Brooklyn, actually, and I bought um, a, a fresh jug, so... Here we are. Uh, I'm drinking Grady's. Colbert, the official sponsor of Late Era. And uh, if you uh, are, are listening and haven't uh, tried Grady's cold brew, this really chick, this nice chicory flavored New Orleans style cold brew that we love so much, uh, you should go check out their products at Grady'sColdBrew.com and enter the code LATEERA20 to get 20% off your first order. I've been drinking uh, Cafe Du Monde recently. Another chicory and coffee New Orleans style brew, perhaps uh, the original, you could say. What the uh, fuck? The inspiration to Grady's. And I have to say, Grady's is better mm. than Cafe Du Monde. You heard it here, folks. That's right. Sam, what's up with your finances? Uh, no finance, no financial corner this week. I am uh, currently dealing with a legal. Uh, the whole legal thing, which basically means I can't speak publicly about finance. I can't give advice. I can't what uh, allude Is this to like anything. A SEC mandated? Like, did you have some guys in suits show up at your door? I'll just say it's not my choice. Um, and if you if you are interested, I'd say uh, C R Y P T O is all I'm going to say. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no financial corner. You, I am not giving advice, and I am not, uh, I'm not pushing anyone in any direction. That's all mm. I'm going to say. Man, this is like a gift from the heavens for me. Well, it's been hell for me and my family. So, uh, well, I'm, but so, I'm sorry for them. It. Does this have anything to do with Elon Musk's appearance on SNL? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely well, not. Were you in, getting into Dogecoin? Is that <laughs> no. what this is about? No, 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 no. None of that. None of that. You literally don't have any tips for the people that you've strung along here who have are are waiting at they're at the ready. They got Robin Hood pulled up. They're waiting for this moment. Take your tip and put it to action. It this does not feel good for me either. But if people, if my crew, my finance crew is interested, you can hit me up. You have my info. We'll talk about it privately. I just on the air on a podcast on this platform. I can't speak to it. So no finance corner this week. Make sure. To do signal, folks. Hit them up on signal. Don't use traditional channels. Yeah, I appreciate that. Okay, well, for impressions, uh, I had really racked my brain for what to do to suit this episode. Um, and it was really difficult. Uh, and as I said, I was, I was working on music. So I, I was thinking about the songwriting process behind this, which seems to have just been generally taking a few kind of stock van morrison musical approaches different sorts of blues tracks uh, types of blues feels uh sort of like brown-eyed girlish moon dance ish type feels like a half-hearted karaoke sam cook songs anyway i was like so what if i tried to uh do my impression of van in song form and use the same kind of mo that he seems to have used. So just before taping this podcast, I gave myself roughly, I guess I was probably say like 18 minutes, somewhere, somewhere between 15 and 20 minutes. I was walking around thinking of some lyrics, came home and was like, I'm going to do this whole thing in 15 minutes. So I, I've uh, recorded a song uh, wow. for you to listen to in the impression segment. So it's a bit different, but um, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to this. So I yeah. think that's a great idea. All right, let's take All a right. listen. Thank you. 
Well, I work all day. Those cucks dance all night. <laughs> this is deep. But deep they're feeling. hidden away. Afraid to come into the light. Can't you hear what they say? This cat is cooking. No, they're too scared for the fight. Well, I'm back in the trenches. I'm back in the blue. Mm. Tell us about those But blues. I can't go on tour. Can't wear out my blue suede shoes. Yeah. <laughs> What's a poor rebel like me to do? They just want me to lose. Took all my gradings. <laughs> they took Already there's all more gradings. musical development in this song no, than there I is in most songs on the actual album. It was my baby. She left me and took all my gradings. <laughs> Can use my 20% off code. Sh shows what the media knows. <laughs> yeah. Remarkable. Uh, wow. That's beautiful. Yeah. The uh, home run. Don't really have much to say about that, but that was just what was going in my brain after two hours of this shit. So I feel like we have to uh, resurrect an old tradition of the homespun Grady's uh, theme songs that we used to do more often back in the days of Welcome to Chicago and haven't done in a while. Uh, I feel like I'm inspired to, to do my own. Yeah, yeah. we got to get back to it. I just feel inspired in general. Uh, that really blew me away. I really, really liked that, Winston. Oh, well, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I was feeling the blues, so when I do that, I fire up my organ here and get cracking on some licks. Um, yeah. I was really inspired by the organ lick. I don't know if you remember, there's an organ solo, there's an organ solo on most songs on this record, yeah, um, for sure. this fan record, and uh, the sound sounds about as good as what I was just playing. Uh, and they're in the song Where Have All the Rebels Gone there is a long organ solo that's basically just like which I, I think is supposed to actually be word painting symbolizing rebellion to me it's like at the apex of the song I'm like wow this is really rebellious <laughs> this is real rock and roll shit here you really nailed the uh, just totally neutral, colorless, antiseptic kind of sound of the production on this album as well with your uh, with your organ sound. I it actually sounded mind, better. Mind <laughs> sounded better than the album. Well, kudos to you, Winston. I thought that was just fantastic. You're trying to kill me with kindness, as they say. I'm sorry for making fun of Financial Corner. Oh, that's okay. Look, oh, I this mean, is nice. Yeah, I think that. I think that a lot of the things we say on this podcast, um, you know, it's representing a different point of view than people are used to. And sometimes that's met with resistance. And, you know, I don't think that any of us are above sometimes confronting new information with a little bit of hostility. So I accept your apology. Hmm. Sound kind of like Van Morrison uh, <laughs> there, <laughs> talking about his, his free thinking. Mm. Well, should we dive in? Yeah, let's talk yeah. a little bit about the, the history of that free thinking. All right. Well, I've wanted to talk about Van Morrison on this podcast. I think all of us have since the beginning, um, because to me, Van is who I'd consider to be the quintessential late era musician. And I think maybe tied with Lou Reed, it's because no one became disgruntled or disillusioned quicker. Um, and I would argue that as soon as 1977, a period of transition Van Morrison was in his late era phase, maybe even earlier than that, where his music sort of started overtly coming from the perspective of someone who's like, over the hill, best days are behind me, just doing it for the love. You know, he sort of dispenses with the idea of, you know, like uh, presenting himself to the mainstream or winning new fans. And, you know, that's what people love about him, but also what leads him down the path where something like this could happen. Uh, but a, a quick run through the history. Uh, Van Morrison gets his start in the 60s. He's in this band called Them. When he talks about this era, it's very romanticized and kind of idyllic, almost like a first love. He's a teenager, and 
the band is basically him improvising his vocals with this blues band behind him. Uh, and he just proves himself to be insanely talented. And um, he has this song called Gloria that's a huge deal. It becomes kind of a touchstone for rock bands that follow him. Uh, with them, the magic kind of fizzles out and he goes solo. And he has a huge hit right off the bat with Brown Eyed Girl, which he immediately sort of disowns. He says, um, it's not one of my best songs. And then to make matters worse, some legal stuff goes down with the label. He claims he never got royalties. And this is sort of when Van the Curmudgeon is born. <laughs> right because on. he basically had a brief moment where music is this fun, youthful, together kind of thing. And then... <laughs> feels slapped in the face. He's maybe like 21 at this point, and he's like, I hate the music industry. I don't want to be in this. I'm just doing it for me now. Just worth noting, I'm sorry to interrupt, as a facet of that is like this sort of notorious uh, recording session he did in, I think, 1967 to get out of his recording contract with Bang. Yeah. Where he's like recording a bunch of nonsense songs and, you know, just openly disdainful of the whole kind of premise of being there in the studio. Feels sort of like a spiritual predecessor to this album to me, even though he's not trying to get out of a recording contract. Yeah, it's like also like exact, it was like 30 songs and this is also, you know, 28 songs or whatever. Which also just goes to show you like what a late era move for a young musician to do something like that. Even Astral Weeks is kind of like a... I'm going to have these great jazz musicians play, and I'm just going to do my Van Morrison thing, you know. So that album is kind of his artistic breakthrough, but it's not very commercially successful at the time, of course, because it's this sort of stick-it-to-the-man, art-folk kind of thing with jazz musicians. Uh, I think, again, he feels somewhat disillusioned by the lack of support that album gets from the label, which only further uh, hardens him into this feeling of an outsider, um, yeah, and when I first got into Van Morrison and started really like getting into his catalog, it was maybe like 10 years ago, basically his canon was Astral Weeks through St. Dominic's Preview. It was like mm-hmm. his first few albums after Brown Eyed Girl. Like, um, I remember thinking Veden Fleece was really underrated and kind of obscure. That's an album from 75 that I think now is sort of seen as another one of his masterpieces. Yeah. Um, but everything after that was pretty much bargained in. Like, you could get it for $3. Like, all his New Age stuff from the 80s, that's pretty cool. All of his acoustic sort of coffeehouse blues albums from the 90s. Um, all his 21st century genre experiments. They were all the kind of things that no one really talked about and were pretty much only held up by his loyal fan base. And you could get them for, like, three bucks, which I did. You know, I listened to pretty much all of them, and I became fascinated with his whole career because I think Van Morrison was, like, primed to age gracefully uh, because of the fact that he sort of detached from the mainstream so early. And, I mean, here's the the thing with Van is, like, all of his songs are pretty much about, like, life is beautiful, I'm feeling romantic, I'm feeling alive, but people keep fucking with me, and I can't do shit if I can't get support. And the way most artists age is they sort of just pick one side of that, and like they hyperbolize like one aspect of themselves. But what makes Van's late career so fascinating is both of those sides sort of become more fleshed out. So by the time you get to like 2012's... Uh, Born to Sing, No Plan B. Incredible like, even just title. the title. Yeah. yeah even amazing. just the title, he's saying, like, I have to do this. I don't want to do this, but I have to. Right. And so the mood gets more laid back and more sort of romantic and jazzier, but the lyrics become so misanthropic and almost confrontationally negative. When God is dead, and it's not it really resonated with me. I thought it was hilarious and I thought it was fun. And so like as recently as I would say 2016, I was listening to every new Van Morrison album and buying them and, you know, sort of finding the good parts. And I think that sort of trailed off sometime in the last five years when he started doing all those blues standard covers albums and I couldn't even tell the difference between them. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much, that's pretty much the trajectory. 
Yeah, in 2017 and 2018, he kind of upped the game with like two albums a year, as opposed to sort of like I don't know. There were it was sort of like two to three years per. I don't know. He he hadn't been doing it at that rate. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it's it kind of Robert Pollardy too, where it's like they start looking like he put no effort into them. You know, it's yeah, like right. the cover is just like word art. The title there's like seventeen songs on it. He wrote maybe two of them. Right. I had the pleasure of seeing him perform in this like very recent era. I think in 2019. And you know, at this time, like yeah, his his records coming out are these sort of just effortless, tossed off things that are coming out a mile a minute. He's giving interviews where he's really hostile to the press. Uh, and, you know, his reputation is firmly in place as a curmudgeon, as a guy who doesn't really care for his audience. And I really wanted to see him play, my partner and I, and we were just sort of prepared for the worst. And I have to say, he put on an amazing fucking show. It was unbelievably good and he was totally i mean he wasn't doing any banter but like he even played brown-eyed girl yeah like he he seemed very happy to be there and uh very willing to sort of give the crowd what they wanted in a way that was like pretty surprising to me so even under his uh sort of hard shell of of recent years there there does seem to be willingness and desire to like be connecting with people still yeah i mean i think it's like uh, you can hear it kind of on some of the lyrics of this i mean another thing like that even that title born to sing plan b but there are a bunch of songs as i was saying on this album where it's like you know music is the central like metaphor of it and there's and he talks about working really hard and all this stuff and if you read interviews and things there, there are a couple interviews around this record where he's talking about there's like a British GQ interview where he's talking about how like, I'm just sitting here twiddling my thumbs, you know, we are supposed to have six shows, like we can't work. For him, it's a very old school attitude, like I am an entertainer and the live setting is like a big part of what I do and I treat, and that's like kind of a different sphere. He knows the songs he's supposed to do. He has these beats he hits, like he plays the sax or he does X thing in the show. Like these albums reflect, I feel like, the dividing of those two things like it's like here's my i put out you know an album a year here and then i do my shows and like these are the things that i do this is like how i diversify my assets is it financial corner (laughs) mentality i would find it charming that he's so into being a good live performer and as much as he doesn't seem to care about his audience he knows what he needs to do in that setting you know and uh yeah it would be charming if it wasn't in the COVID setting tied to this feeling of everyone trying to fuck him over, <laughs> like by not playing shows and right. uh, the media, you know, lying about COVID being a threat and all that. So There's also some hostility at what sounds like his ex-wife on this album. Yes. There's like several songs about their divorce yeah, that's and really like pleasant. child support payments and stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There, there are, I have to admit, like there's an alternate universe version of this album uh where with songs like he's not the kingpin and double agent and uh the long con where he's like at least going to the length of like sort of metaphorizing his like feeling of put upon and like paranoia yeah into this kind of sense of like you know, it almost feels like this kind of noir narrator yeah, yeah. Uh, who's like running around being chased by these kind of like faceless bad guys and, and, and they're pulling the strings uh, in ways that he doesn't quite understand. And like if he had like sort of leaned into that, like I could, that's a Van Morrison album I could get very into. But then he goes and he's like, and this divorce attorney, you oh. know. <laughs> fucked me four times or whatever and it yeah, like yeah. really sort of breaks the spell that he's like on the verge of casting with some of the material yeah, yeah no it's true it's like that also informs a lot of my favorite moments on late era van albums where it's like on an album like back on top like the title track is this weird swaggering like you tried to knock me down but now i'm ruling the world again it's kind of like well what are you actually ruling you know like you look like a bowling ball you like <laughs> like are probably selling no records like it's just this weird embattled thing that i that kind of resonated with me and that it's just like it's like the the mixes the 
it's some the balance is totally off here and it's all on the side of like alt-right conspiracy as opposed to this sort of like almost like Fraser crane level of like delusion of you know it's like yeah I just imagine him showing up with a suit and being like like who is who are you you know like who are you doing this for you know even uh, through into the 80s when he's become sort of more disillusioned and grumpy like so much of his best music you get this like really beautiful sense of of someone searching who's like on the edge of something that they that they don't quite get but they're very open to all possibilities and they're just you know asking a lot of questions and open to ambiguity and stuff and now at some point that has become like he now seems to have no sense of like curiosity. Yeah. Like he's got everything figured out and it all adds up to people shitting on him. And anytime he's asking any questions, it's in the sense of like QAnon, like I'm just out here doing my research about uh, the system and the people who control the media. And stuff. Well, that's what's entered the open mind is the key. He's, he's open. There is a sense in the eighties. I love the eighties music. Me first too. of all, I think we all do. Um, which is this, yeah, this kind of spiritual, I mean, the man was into Scientology for a period, right? And he has Christian period. He, yeah. He's a, he allows very specific, uh, not always great, uh, ideas to enter into this kind of uh, yeah like like the what's the word the celestial folk universe of his of his brain and his singing voice and like the aesthetic of his music there's like these bits of specificity of ideology start entering it and uh, yeah so now fast forward to this time and we have grumpy blues songs and the idea and there is these these realms of like i'm pissed off and put upon metaphors but then you have shit where he's like saying nigel like nigel farage are talking about suddenly talking about facebook or his ex-wife and the death of rock and roll and stuff like that it's this similarly uncomfortable thing going on there yeah worth noting that even on like beautiful vision uh an album from 1982 there's a song that i've always sort of wondered about called arian mist yeah in terms of him letting questionable ideas into his sense of searching yeah definitely um there's a there's a great piece by ryan walsh who wrote a a cool book about uh, van morrison's early days in boston he reviewed this record latest record project for the los angeles times and also sort of gave this kind of uh exegesis of his whole thing until now and sort of draws the line between that sense of questing and and openness to new ideas of his early music and like the way that that can especially today become a sense of like going down the rabbit hole of of the alt-right yeah look he's like any other victim of the algorithm who's like watching youtube videos about how the brain works and then suddenly gets recommended something about I don't know, phrenology or whatever. And exactly. Yeah. In a sense, it's like, that's like why I was dreading listening to it. Cause it's like, it goes from being funny to being annoying to being like sad to being like actually troubling. Cause it's like, Oh man, like this is like, you know, it's already probably making the rounds on like 4chan places like that. For sure. There's a song on the album called Western Man that's like one of the most kind of troubling ones where he's talking about the bounties of the Western man being stolen from him by others while he's that are scheming while he's dreaming and I I was th- having the same thought about this music probably making the rounds in those communities so I just pulled it up on YouTube and like one of the top comments is by an account called Francisco Franco uh that says Others were scheming. LOL, we all know who the others are, but dare name them and you lose your job, bank account, and basically everything. We know who Van's talking about. Uh, There's another one that says, like, who is scheming and doing deals? Oy vey. Like, so there is all this, you know, there are people who are receptive to these ideas who are kind of recognizing the subtext of what Van is putting out there. And basically every other comment is like, thank you, based Van Morrison, which is like, as we know, alt-right kind of shorthand 
So yeah. people are like picking up what he's laying down, which yeah. is like just so fucking depressing. I'm glad you brought up Western Man because I also just ignoring the subject matter. I want to talk about just the quality of songwriting and yeah. production. Now, all three of us are musicians, and I want you to close your eyes and imagine a friend of yours. Maybe one of us is like, hey, I'm working on this new song. Uh, I like did a mock-up of how I want it to sound. Any notes, I'm receptive to anything you want to say about it. All right, this is, this is what it sounds like. Western man has no plan Since he became complacent Stop believing in himself let others steal his rewards while he was dreaming. While he was dreaming, others were scheming, doing deals behind his back. You know, it's just like yeah. there's no melody. It's like the banjo is like supposed to make you think of the frontier, but it sounds awful. It's like a MIDI banjo. It's yeah, just... my first question would be, are you planning on getting a real banjo player? Or is the garage band <laughs> preset sound yeah. what you're set on for... Uh what this is going to sound like. Yeah, it's amazing that maybe the most ideologically heinous song is... Uh, I think that's by far the most musically inept song on here. I mean, the rhymes are all fucked up. It sound, the band sounds bad. Yeah. Like, his voice... It sounds like he had all the lyrics written out on a piece of paper with no melody. He hit, like, the country rock preset on his keyboard and just started trying <laughs> to fit it into the rhythm as he figured out what the chord changes were. It's truly abysmal music. Yeah, dreaming and scheming. I mean, the, the, there's kind of an amazing. I was thinking about this a lot. The the sense of like direct, obvious rhymes all up next to each other that pervade this album. He's totally willing to do that and happy about it. I read somewhere that he um, likes Cole Porter, which I which I thought was fun, was fascinating because Cole Porter is somebody who is also totally happy to do these kind of obvious. I don't know what the word is using very very specific words and silly rhymes right up next to each other, but in a clever way. But Van does this in like this aggressive I don't I don't know if he thinks it's funny to use those words at all, like to be obvious with his rhymes at all, or if it's all if it's all like dead serious. But it's like everywhere on this album in such a way that is crazy to me. Pull myself out of the mire lift myself a little higher get out of this blue not preaching to the choir talking by the blues yeah i think there's like a larger question of like to what degree does the just totally unappealing quality of this music like is it supposed to be that way somehow is that like part of what he's trying to do or is it like that this is supposed to go down smoothly because there is something ag aggressive about being like, this is my 30 song, two hour album. Like he has to know on some level that like, this isn't what people want. So is like the music done that way on purpose. I think it's less like a conceptual thing and more just, he wanted to do it quickly. Like I read yeah. that he already has volume two finished. Like he right. has that much music and you don't make that much music when you're thinking about every single aspect of it. You know, I think part of the fun for him was like just writing all these songs, setting them up, bashing them out. Like, yeah. you know, that, that plays into the process, I think. And, and some of them, I mean, practically every one of them, even when they have like a decent premise, like a song I was sort of prepared to, to like was um, a few bars early yeah, same. where he, he's kind of like, it's a love song. And the whole idea is I came in a few bars early, which if you're not a musician is a, like a little joke about kind of coming in, playing the wrong part before you're supposed to, which is like a decent enough premise for a song like this, but it just does not get developed beyond the premise at all. Like a lot of these songs, it's like he has an idea and that's well and good, but he doesn't do anything with the idea. And by the end of the song, he's just chanting the title over and over. I think this is probably the best song on the album, too. If I had to pick one. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't mean much. I don't know. Is there any, anything else that seemed at all worth commenting on positively? Is that something we can even do in good faith? I don't want to comment on any of it positively because I feel like it almost misses the point. Yeah. Because, like, of course, there are things I 
will like about a Van Morrison record because I like his voice. You know, I like um, some of like the melodic things he goes to when he's not in like lobotomized mode. But, uh, you know, like a song like Psychoanalyst Ball, I feel like musically is kind of similar to what he was doing in the 90s. You know, like that sort of like autumnal Celtic vibe. But it's just, yeah, it just is so brainless and it's so like confrontational. It's almost like later Sun Kill Moon records where... I was going to make the same comparison. There's definitely a Kozilek element. Yeah, where he's like, oh, like you don't want to listen to this? Fine. Like, I don't want you listening to it, which is just a pose I can't bear in musicians at, especially at Van's level of like fame. Yeah, this 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 song got stuck in my head. Is the only one that and it, uh, but it sounds like you know twenty other Van Morrison songs. Right. I do think it's funny in it how he harmonizes with himself. Yeah. It's like he couldn't find anyone to do like the backup part. So you get this weird droning chorus of Van Morrison's like mumbling together. It's a really eerie moment. <laughs> yeah, it was like in the depths of COVID when nobody would come over to his house. So he had to do it himself. Um, He's just like hovering over his mic like, psychoanalyst ball. <laughs> it's just awful sounding. And the concept for that one is uh, don't trust uh, doctors, pretty much. For sure. Like there's some where the metaphor is like, I'm not sure exactly who... I think everyone is always on the end of the spear. Like, where where have all the rebels gone? I read uh, somebody saying that it was about, you know, what's wrong with modern music, but I thought of it as just being about people being too afraid to speak up, like, in a general... You know, like, I don't... Sometimes I don't know who he's trying to uh, go after, but I think generally the answer is the sheeple or the libs. Yeah. This one seems to have an element of like that stereotypical image of like the blogger working in their mom's basement kind yeah. of thing because he's like says about hiding behind your computer screen and stuff. Yeah, and then I read I read somebody be like about music, so I was like, is he talking about like uh, what like Dead Mouse and I don't like <laughs> who's like hiding behind his computer screen? I don't know. <laughs> I wonder if fans gonna listen to this and write a song about us on volume two. I hope. Though it does bring up another point, which is like the truth of the matter is most of these songs are so vague and so low effort that they don't even make the point that he wants them to or that I think listeners expect him to, which is why you can get YouTube commenters being like, Oh, like we all know what he's talking about, or why like you know, like prestige magazines who don't want to piss off Van Morrison can give it like a four out of five and be like his most fearless album yet because did, it's like did it get reviews like that? Yeah, I sent you guys this picture. I I was walking home from dinner the other night and I saw a whole wall plastered oh, yes. with ads yeah. for this album. Which imagine like the street team who had to do that, but <laughs> yeah. like the ad has like two quotes from publications on it that are like really positively talking about this music i don't know if they're like uh, taken out of context it's or like something. the daily stormer or something well, the the, the <laughs> youth <laughs> there's I, I don't did you guys see that interview right bart it was like uk uk gq that was like van interviewing talking to this other musician whose name i can't remember but there's like a big kind of rapturous thing about him in it <laughs> it's about this album yeah it's confusing this is the sad thing is like I do think that he will outlive this moment. Like I think he'll probably like in two years have an album that's not political and people will just look at this as this weird outlier in his catalog. But yeah, for me it's like a real I don't know. I imagine for a lot of people it's a real jumping off point. Yeah, it's kinda hard. I mean, I, I love his music and this is almost to the point I mean, songs like Western Man, like they own the media are almost to the point of like maybe I've just I'm going to abandon my my fondness for Van Morrison altogether. Like it it's really bad. They yeah. own the media is um an example of one where like I just want everyone listening to this to just quickly picture uh, you know what having heard a, a few other songs in this record played in the podcast just picture what you think that song would sound like. And now let's listen to a little bit of it and see if it's exactly right. Because me, it, for me, it was exactly <laughs> what I imagined. They tell us that ignorance is bliss. Just like this, like minor key, minor key blues, moody blues. 
That that sweet organ sound. So much organ. Yep. They, right. And then let's 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 quickly kind of like uh emulate the experience of listening to this album and play the next song, which is I think objectively in a way, let's just try to t- talk object is a funny thing. The piece the the music yeah. that is set for the song Why Are You on Facebook? And the, you on Facebook? It's like this bare naked ladies drum beat. <laughs> This song does go in sort of an unexpected direction. Yeah. For me, I figured Why Are You on Facebook is going to be about like them filtering out conservative news or something, but it's really just like the kind of like, why don't you get a life and like make some real friends? <laughs> What's like the, the line? Like, you song. kiss the girls and run away or something on it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, like, be a man. Are you a real man? Like, nuts. get out there. <laughs> get off Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> Take off that mask, go outside, date. Yeah, I wonder if it's just, it's like a song about his age group, because it like oh, does seem yeah. to be like mostly boomers on Facebook nowadays. Yeah, so true. Maybe that's what it's about. Or maybe like his wife like met up with an old friend on Facebook and that's where they reconnected and he's like taking it out on <laughs> them. I don't know. Yeah, it, it does. it does seem maybe like it's like watching his peers... Uh, move into a, a Facebook-centric existence and thinking it uh, unbecoming, unrock and roll. I want to know what his ex-wife thinks of this album. If she's like, oh my god, I dodged a bullet. Like, geez. Like, <laughs> Wait, let's play or, one of those songs. No deed, Good Deed Goes Unpunished. Yeah, that's a good one. No Good Deed Goes Unpunished, followed by Wait, is, I Tried to Do the Is right that thing. like a Rolling Stone? Yeah, yeah really. It's exact. The exact lick. <laughs> it's my rolling, like a Rolling Stone ringtone. <laughs> One more time. That's amazing. <laughs> it, it really is Garage Band organ. <laughs> no good deed goes unpunished. Why does start to unravel on you? You think the press is gonna be sorry? The press. Mm. The press in, is mentioned a lot. But then he starts talking. There we go. She said she didn't like the meal. I got a ticket for the, to the opera. There's something <laughs> There's something like almost compelling about the way his ex-wife, the media, like international Jewry seem to all be like the same thing to him mm. like he he mixes that he mixes it all together in this way of like i don't know there 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 is like i said something almost compelling about that that his, his mentality of going from the press to like in the very next breath this like restaurant table that he <laughs> bought for his ex he got for his ex-wife like does he think those two things are connected somehow because it kind of seems like he does. This is your love of like pension paranoia coming out here. Exactly. Yeah, like, yeah. That's like, I can't help but be sort of intrigued by that. But of course, it goes to such such unbelievably dark places by the end of the record that there's absolutely nothing to love there. At first, it's like the record kind of starts specific, and then it goes into this hole where everything's like big lie, the long con, diabolic pressure, you know, double agent. And then it kind of pulls back into this specificity at the end, which is like, you know, Western Man, all this, these songs that we've been talking about that are really horrible. So it really ends with like punching you in the nuts, basically. Just being like, yeah, fuck you for listening f- to this whole thing. Yeah, and the final song literally is Jealousy, where he then zooms back out and basically is like, if you have anything to quibble with, anything I've said in the last two hours, it's because you're jealous that I'm so good at my job. Like, he literally <laughs> says, I'm good at my job. Imagining Sam Cooke, like, looking down from heaven. Now you start to feel for him a little. You're like, wow. I never thought of it like that. There's a really good line coming out of it. Why don't they just let me be? 
They don't take my philosophy. Yeah, they don't take my philosophy. It's just plain That's what it is. If you don't like my philosophy, you must be jealous. Is it because I'm good at my job? I don't go with the mob. Is it because I'm good at my job? I don't go with the mob. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think for me it's because he's good at his job. I think that is the bottom line why I hate this record. Yeah. I just, <laughs> too he's good. too good. And it makes me feel inadequate, really. That's <laughs> where I'm at with it. What is the double bind Nigel Farage thing? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. What is he trying to say? Uh, I have no idea. Let's let's look at that lyric really quick. There is a mention of Nigel. Yes, which like the Guardian review interprets that as like a straightforward sort of defense or endorsement of Nigel Farage. But the lyric is like pretty impenetrable to me. It says, Nigel comes on strong, then backs away, comes back to fight another day. Third party's not going to be flying blind. No, he's not going to change his mind. Weird scenes in the diamond mine. Keep on, keep on breaking the double bind. Third party's not going to be flying blind. Yeah, I got nothing. Maybe we should like get someone who knows about uh, British politics yeah. to comment on that. Keep on breaking the double bind is such a yeah, like alt-righty QAnon type phrase that even though it isn't one, just like uh, weird diamond mine. It's all. It all feels like this. It makes my skin crawl. It's like you know the stuff that isn't literal but feels like coded and blends with his laziness as a lyricist and musician, where you're like. Oh, like what? It's like sort of worse than the specific stuff, even to me, where it's just like, I know you think you're saying something here, and like whatever horrible thing is going on in your mind, like I can like feel it, but I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's like that sort of smugness about it, also. Van, why'd you do it, Van? Why'd you do it, Van? Why'd you have to? I mean, I don't. We don't like to uh, openly just pan things for the sake of it, but you know, I don't know. If, if what if if somebody wanted to listen to <laughs> some two thousand Van Morrison, Sam? What would you point them to? Um, where where should they stop listening to Van Morrison to not to avoid getting here? That's the question, really. I think like. Keep Me Singing is the last album of his that I listened to, and I was like, most of this sucks. There's a few nice songs on it. Born to Sing is the last one that I was like, wow, this is great, like, you know, that had moments that I returned to. I would say go to his 90s stuff over 21st century stuff. Um, Pretty much everything from the 90s I think is great. Um, Days Like This is awesome. Healing Game, awesome. Hymns to the Silence, which was his last double album, uh, also has some really cool stuff. Um, yeah, for me, I'm kind of like, I, like Andy was saying, I'm like, I don't know if, like, this has soured me on Van, I think, for a while, you know, because it's like part of the reason you can deal with a song called, like, Aryan Sunset or whatever that one is on Beautiful Vision is because it's like there's like something sort of distanced from it. it it's like it's more there's like something word associative but with this it's just like so in your face and so aggro and just like with the climate of things right now I don't want to hear a song called They Control the Media you know it's just I don't even want to like I don't want to engage with it like I would recommend you know it's like that's why this episode for me is kind of like yeah, let's get into this album, but it's also kind of like, let's, you know, it's like everything around it sucks so much. The album sucks so much. It's like, you know, I'd recommend listeners maybe just like stick with Moondance, Veed and Fleece. You know, don't. <laughs> yeah. Like, Have you heard Brown Eyed Girl? <laughs> right, right now it's kind of like, maybe don't even venture that far into the 80s lest you get a whiff of this album. Yeah. Yeah, I feel really uh, bad because I'm, uh, hilariously Ian who edits this podcast and myself are literally two days after the airing of this show are going to be performing into the mystic at our bandmate Charlie's wedding. And, uh, so I'm going to tell him not to listen to this episode prior to that moment. But, um, he did make a lot of good music. Congratulations to Charlie, by the way. Congratulations, yeah. Charlie. But don't listen to this. Don't listen to this record. Should we get into our final segment? Yeah. Let's do it. All right. Do we so need to our, do it? 
Yeah, I mean, maybe just for the sake of it, we can keep it brief. The final segment is called Fantasy or Delusion, where we evaluate every album on a binary scale of, is it a fantasy, is it good, or is it a delusion, is it bad? If you're curious, it's a reference to Billy Joel's classical piano opus that we did a whole episode about last season. I'll go first. I feel like we've talked about the thematic material of this album enough that I don't need to go into it again. But just from a musical perspective and like the assaultive um, runtime, it was hard for me to imagine before I even got to the end where things get really dark, it was hard for me to imagine who's this music for? What is the listenership of this album? It's it's so bad and just so bland and such a slog to listen to. It's hard to imagine anyone getting through the whole thing and being like, I want to do that again. Like, is anyone ever going to listen to this album a second time? I don't know. Which right. almost makes me want to kind of perversely root for it, were it not for the kind of right-wing shit that he gets into at the end of the album. So for me, and I'm sure for everyone else, it's an obvious delusion. Yeah, it's a delusion, obviously. I, I, I That brings up, like, one of the main... If you yeah, if you detach from like trying to follow along with all the lyrics, it's amazing. It's a it's a twenty eight al- song album, and you would think. I mean, there are very few songs on this that are less than four and a half minutes, and some of them are seven minutes long. You know, it's a full two out. It's like every song is between two and five times longer than it should be. Just like heavy repetition. It's almost like he's trying to game some algorithm to get stream except they don't actually need to be this long for him you know he could have made them two two minutes long but they're yeah they're just really repetitive all these blues forms and and i i i want to mention like the reviews of this record a lot of them even the negative ones say that the band sounds good which is some is so shocking to me and uh it just makes me think of like the people who normally have to write about Van Morrison or people who like the kind of like old school rock reviewers. It's like, they have to be like, I, this is the only way I can justify this because the band sounds awful. And it's like, yes, they're doing the style of blues and rock and roll and they are proficient. They are playing it. They're doing it proficiently. And we do need to acknowledge that. Yeah. They're skilled. They're skilled musicians. It's like we have an obligation uh, to, to say this, but really like, this is like everything that's, that's bad about carrying on the tradition of the blues and soul music through rock and roll. It's like poisonously half-assed to me. And that is something that makes me just not want to listen to any Van Morrison. It like not to spend any time with like blues era Van Morrison, which is, I don't know, the past 25 to 30 years of it. Yeah, bad as it gets, a delusion in multiple senses of the word. Um, and yeah, like I said, it's it's just depressing as being like a late era rock album that I just think leans into all of the worst sides of older rock artists from that generation and it leans into all the worst qualities of Van Morrison as a person and as a musician. Yeah, truly heinous, nothing good to say. Well, what's a good thing that we can say about any kind of good thought? <laughs> Andy, you're a voice uh, of positivity on the podcast usually. Just not about, it doesn't have to be about Van Morrison, I'm, just anything. Right, I'll put right, some right. music on this, under this, so just uh, give us a nice positive monologue okay. or something here to round us out. Well, uh, earlier in the episode, Winston performed a beautiful well-thought-out, accomplished parody of um, Van Morrison as a Grady's theme song. And despite the um, long-simmering tension that's probably very obvious to listeners between them, I think Sam was able to see the soul of Winston shining through those chords and that beautiful organ sound and admit that Winston had done something special. And I would challenge Winston next time he finds himself um, frustrated with Sam to have a similar moment of humility 
and try to recognize the beauty of what Sam lays down in his financial corner every episode, uh, just the positive energy that Sam brings to the podcast. I think we got a glimpse of some real healing today, and I would love to see that taken a little further. Amen. Preach. Okay. Uh, thanks, Andy. I, uh, thanks for your nice comments with music, and I'll think about that uh, more before the next episode. And Sam, I'm sorry about the Dogecoin crack. Apology accepted. Wow, this is real progress. What do we got next time, Sam? Uh, next week we'll be talking about uh, Bon Jovi's John Bon Jug Band, which is John Bon Jovi's Jug Band side project from uh, 2008. Well, that sounds like it'll be better than this shit. Yeah. All right, folks. Au revoir. Thanks for bearing with us. We are still only about uh, halfway through the runtime of uh, latest record project volume one. That's a first, I think. Episode being shorter than the album. Later, pals. See you next time. Later is hosted and produced by Winston Cook Wilson, Andy Cush, and Sam Sadomsky. It is edited by Winston Cook Wilson and mixed and mastered by Ian Wayne. The executive producers of Late Era are Brian Brickman and RJB. Logo designed by Liz B. Art and Design. Late Era is a part of Osiris Media. No need to run it by me one more time.